Amagram.com. Welcome to Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canan. We have two important topics today. At the bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the upcoming vote in the House to impeach President Trump. We'll talk to an activist who is organizing a demonstration in St. Petersburg tomorrow evening supporting impeachment. But first up, we'll talk with an attorney representing a man on Florida's death row. There are serious claims the man is innocent. In the second half of the show, we'll take your phone calls. In the meantime, you can send a text or email, dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. James Daly is on death row for the 1985 murder in Pinellas County of a 14-year-old Shelley Boggio. Another man was also convicted for the murder who says he acted alone. In October, I interviewed an attorney with the Federal Public Defender's Office in Tampa. She said that Florida is about to execute an innocent man. Joining us today by phone is one of Daly's attorneys, Josh Dubin. Josh Dubin is president of Dubin Research and Consulting. Welcome to WMNS Midpoint Monday, Josh. Are you there? I'm here. Okay, good. We have you now. Thank you so much for joining us. So yeah. I, I set up the 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 uh, situation a little bit, but why don't you tell people what they should know about the case of James Daly, who's on death row in Florida? Uh, sure. Um, look, this is a case where my client was convicted and sentenced to death for the 1985 murder um, of a woman named Shelley Baggio. Um, he's consistently maintained his innocence. Um, he was sentenced to death largely based on completely unreliable testimony of, you know, someone that has been referred to by the New York Times just last Sunday as, you know, perhaps the most prolific um, con man to ever grace a witness stand as a cooperating witness for the prosecution. He's a sex offender. Um, his name is Paul Skalnick. He has repeatedly lied over and over and over again to try to frame people, and he did it to my client. And, you know, there's all of this new evidence of my client's innocence. There's no forensic evidence tying him to the crime. His co-defendant, who was tried separately, has already confessed um, multiple times, once in an, a sworn affidavit, that he committed the murder alone. And, you know, the courts are largely based on, you know, procedural grounds have been denying over and over again um, Mr. Daly's attempts to get this new evidence before a court. And, you know, this is, you know, a plea to the governor of Florida to grant him a clemency hearing so that this new evidence can see the light of day. Well, we'll talk more about that. First of all, that New York Times and ProPublica story that mentioned. Here's the title of it. It's called He's a Liar, a Con Artist, and a Snitch. His testimony could soon send a man to death. And it's subtitled Paul Skalnick has a decades-long criminal record and maybe one of the most prolific jailhouse informants in U.S. history. The state of Florida is planning to execute a man based largely on his word. So that's the title and subtitle of the New York Times and ProPublica article that just came out. And in 1987, the St. Petersburg Times wrote an article about Skalnik. And again, this is we're referring to the person who um, was one of the main witnesses in the case that convicted James Daly. Paul Skalnik, con man extraordinaire, a 
apparently has done it again two months after he was released from jail by convincing a judge that his life was in danger. Skalnik is nowhere to be found. This time he has left prosecutors without their key witness in three murder cases and a Palm Harbor woman without her groom. So how is it, Josh Dubin, that uh, someone with a, a history like this is the m- person who is believed, I guess, by the court and a man is sentenced to death? Look, when prosecutors put cooperating witnesses like like Paul Skelnick on the scan, on the stand, they're essentially saying we believe this person, and you should believe him too. Um, you know, there's serious questions as to why they continually put him on the stand over and over and over again. That you know, we'll never know um, the answers to, but we do know this. We do know that right now. Um, when he testified in James Daly's case, he was facing a 20-year sentence. He got up and swore an oath to tell the truth, and he told that jury in Mr. Daly's case that he didn't expect any favors from the prosecution. And a few days after Mr. Daly was sentenced to death, Paul Skelnick was released. So, you know, the prosecution is, is complicit in this to some extent. Um, but look, we have to look at where we are now. Um, we'll never solve the problem, you know, certainly in the time between now and, and hopefully when the Florida governor grants a clemency hearing of why, you know, prosecutors all over the country um, use jailhouse informants over and over and over again when there should be serious questions as to their credibility. But this is, um, this case is, is just mind-boggling that the governor just doesn't say, look, we need to hear this evidence. This is what clemency is for. Um, I am, I am um, going to use my executive powers to um, grant a hearing and hear all of this evidence. And too often, you know, this breaks on party lines. And, you know, I'm afraid that that's happening here, although I do have some, some hope because I think that the governor of Florida is different. I do. I think that he's listening, and I'm hopeful that I'll grant the hearing. Our guest is Josh Dubin. He's president of Dubin Research and Consulting. He's an attorney for James Daly. James Daly is on Florida's death row. He, he, he has a stay of execution that remains in place until December 30th. And you're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa, WMNF.org. My name is Sean Canaan. It's 12-12 in the afternoon. And um, so, Josh Dubin, let's talk about some of the appeals that are going through the courts right now. Uh, Recently, a judge who effectively canceled James James Daly's execution six weeks ago, he he appears unconvinced by claims that the death row inmate might be innocent of a 1985 Pinellas County murder, yet you say that most of the dismissals have been on procedural grounds and not on the evidence. Yeah, I don't think that, you know, with all respect to that judge, he's not considering Paul Skalnick. He's just not. Um, he is regurgitating um, evidence from that has been considered long ago. And you cannot look at this case in any objective manner without understanding who Paul Skalnick is, understanding that the prosecutor in Mr. Daly's case has already said that they wouldn't put him on the state, the same assistant state attorney, has recently admitted that the evidence against James Daly was circumstantial, all right? And the state no longer trusts the man that helped put Mr. Daly on death row, a man that got on the witness stand and claimed James Daly confessed to him. And the prosecutor, or the, the federal judge, is essentially brushing that aside and saying, oh, but there's other evidence. 
This is the critical evidence. This is a man that, that claims that James Daly confessed to him in graphic detail, testified under oath to that in, you know, in front of a jury. So I don't, with all respect to that federal judge, you cannot um, really objectively consider this case without really fully understanding who Paul Skalnick is, um, that he has been uncovered as a complete and total fraud. And, you know, without fully considering the fact that Percy, who actually committed this crime, has already confessed and said he committed the crime. By himself. Uh, and, and yes, yes, by himself. And then Mr. Daly had nothing to do with it. And without and, and to merely brush that aside and say, well, but there's this other evidence. Look, there are certain people that you're never going to convince of your position, whether that's because of their party affiliation or, or that they just implicitly trust prosecutors in the courts no matter what you say to them. In this case, any objective person, if they're truly being objective, at the very least, at the very least, should have a serious question, a serious question. And that, at a minimum, warrants a clemency hearing. And I would say, at a minimum, warrants granting Mr. Daly clemency here. And even if it's commuting his sentence to life, if that is sort of a second alternative so that we can make sure that the courts see this evidence and, and you know, that we can uh, present in an objective forum all of the evidence pointed to Mr. Daly's innocence. Um, so, you know, it, it really is astounding that anyone looking at this objectively um, can, can conclude anything other than, look, we need to have an open forum here and hear this out, lest we have blood on our hands and execute an innocent man. Besides a clemency hearing, which would have to be called, I assume, by the governor only, is there anything else that's still pending in the courts? Are, are courts still looking at any of these questions? Um, look, there are. We, we still have various motions that we are going to be filing um, in the Eleventh Circuit. Um, so the short answer is yes. There is more to be done between now and December thirtieth. Just reminding people that that's when the stay of execution ends. The, ju the judge, the same judge we've been talking about, imposed the stay of execution essentially to pause the execution date, which had been sent for set for November for James Daly. And now uh, I guess it's in limbo until December 30th. What could happen after December 30th if there hasn't been a clemency hearing? What could happen is that the governor could sign a new death warrant and schedule the execution right away early January. What is the avenue for people to request a clemency hearing? I assume that as, as a lawyer, you've had some sort of, you've reached out to the governor and somehow, is that something that just the lawyers do or do members of the public reach out to the governor? What, how do people uh, go about getting a clemency hearing? No, absolutely not. Look, it's not just the lawyers. This is a desperate plea for help to all of your listeners, a desperate plea for help. Um, to write to the governor, write to members of the clemency board, you can find them all online, and urge them to have a hearing, not only the governor but the clemency board. Look, the state of Florida has a problem that needs to be addressed. Um, it has a history of um, sentencing innocent people to death. There is no state in the country that has more exonerations of, of people sentenced to death in the state of Florida. 
You know, there have been 166, de- 166 death row exonerations to date. 29 of them come from Florida. It's more than any other state. So if we're really going to address the problem, and if you, especially if you're a resident of the state of Florida, but if you're just, you know, a caring, compassionate human being, which I think that that is the default for all people, I really do. I believe that then you will see that this would be a terrible, terrible miscarriage of justice to to not at a very minimum grant him a clemency hearing. And we would urge all of your listeners, please, it only takes five minutes to write an email, send a quick letter, and we should flood the governor's office and the clemency board with desperate cries for help. Please grant James Daly a clemency hearing. Our guest is Josh Dubin. He's president of Dubin Research and Consulting. He's an attorney for James Daly, who's on Florida's death row. And Josh, I'm going to take about uh, 90 seconds here for, to place a quick tape that I recorded a few months ago. I was uh, speaking with um, with Carol Wright. She's a federal public defender in, with the Federal Public Defender's Office here in Tampa. And she said in October that Florida had, going back to what you were talking about, about Florida's record when it comes to the death penalty, here's what this federal, uh, federal uh, um, attorney said about Florida. Florida's got the worst record for convicting innocent people. They've exonerated 29 people from Florida's death row and only one of those had DNA evidence. So 29 people were convicted wrongfully in Florida. Our system doesn't work. Florida's clemency system doesn't work. It is not the fail-safe that is required to stop innocent people from being convicted. Florida's record is terrible. In the case of Mr. Daly, what other avenues are there for his case? Well, so that's one of the problems. The courts have said all of this new evidence is procedurally barred. And because our clemency system here in Florida is really a sham, it's a problem. In fact, Mr. Daly's clemency hearing took place in 2015. Much of the new evidence that was discovered was discovered in 2017 and actually is being developed right now. So the clemency board never heard any of this evidence, and that's a problem. They made a decision based on not hearing this evidence. And it wasn't just the clemency board, right? The jury also never heard this this evidence. So we're hoping, we're hoping to go into federal court. We're hoping that the U.S. Supreme Court will accept a petition for cert, particularly in light of the fact that there is no fail-safe clemency mechanism here in Florida. And we're hoping also that Governor DeSantis will rescind this warrant and give us time, give us a stay, give us time to develop the information and present it in a way that it can be heard by the fact finder. Well, that was Carol Wright. She's with the Federal Public Defender's Office here in Tampa. I spoke with her in October. My guest on the phone live right now is Josh Dubin. He's president of Dubin Research and Consulting. He is representing James Daly in his, uh, he, who is on Florida's death row. So Josh, what are your thoughts about what, uh, um, what Carol Wright was saying about Florida and the number of cases that have been overturned, death penalty cases, people who are, who are told by the state, you're going to die for your crimes. And then later the state said, we got it wrong. We're going to release you. I mean, in short, I'm in violent agreement with her. I mean, she has it right. And, you know, all I would say, you know, as a to put a fine point on it, is that I, I am, in, you know, in, in a country right now where the politics divide us more than they unite us, you know, perhaps more than ever. Um, <clears throat> you know, 
I am a strong believer in that you give folks a chance. And, you know, there's a new it is a new day in Florida with Governor DeSantis, regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican. You know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And again, I remain hopeful. I do remain hopeful that despite the problems that Florida has had, that Governor DeSantis has an opportunity here to say, you know, I am going to take a closer look at this. And that I'm whether whether he is, you know, based on his public comments, he still seems to be, you know, convinced that that James Daly is guilty. All I'm asking him, right, is to say, you know, okay, but I'll listen to you. I want to see the evidence the courts haven't considered. I want to fully understand this before I just make this rush to judgment and just say I I willy nilly, um, you know, accept what the courts are saying because listen, sometimes. The courts get it wrong. Judges get it wrong. Jurors get it wrong. And there are checks and balances in the system. Part of his, you know, executive power extends to making sure that, you know, there is a check and balance. Um, That's consistent with the separation of powers um, from which I understand, you know, Governor DeSantis um, strongly believes in. Just because you grant a clemency hearing doesn't mean you're invading um, a separate power. That means you are an additional check and balance on that system. The attorney we heard from earlier had talked about a, 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 a clemency hearing that had happened years ago, but now there's new evidence. Is it? Would it be unheard of maybe or at least uncommon for a person to get a second clemency hearing when new evidence comes out? Well, let me, let me, that's, that, that, let me clarify something. The only thing that she had wrong is that he did not have a clemency hearing before the clemency board. He has never had one. He had a clemency interview with the investigative body that works on behalf of the clemency board in 2015. And it's critical to point out that at the time of that interview in 2015, that was prior to all of the evidence that all of this new evidence of innocence that we have. And that was before Piercy confessed. Our guest is Josh Dubin. He's president of Dubin Research and Consulting, and he's representing James Daly, who's on Florida death row. When Dubin, when, I'm sorry, um, what, what do we know about, what could you tell if there was an interview right now, a clemency interview, what would you tell them about the possible innocence of James Daly? Well, look, I, I think that there's a lot to tell. Um, I would not reveal everything I'm going to tell right now um, on this call, but I think that a measured presentation of the evidence and being able to, you know, answer any questions that they have about this case, um, I can answer confidently, um, objectively, and show them that there is just no case. There is no world in which we should be executing this man. There is a world in which you can make a strong case that he is actually innocent, and at very least that you should commute his sentence um, and let the courts finally decide. Um, because I think that you know where there's an ember, if you blow on it, it tends to spark a flame. And you know I do think that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice. I think that that the truth sometimes takes time to come out. We can see that since 2015, the truth is beginning to leak out. Um, I am, you know, if you know my record in Florida, when the Clemente Aguirre case walked him off of death row, 
with the help of some amazing attorneys um, from the CCRC, Maria Deliverado, and another attorney named Mari Louise Palmer, through their hard work um, and investigation, we finally, you know, instead of just the the um, um, truth leaking out, we were finally able to break down the dam and have a flood of innocence into a courtroom that resulted in his exoneration. Um, I'm confident we can do the same with James Daly. Um, I mean, presenting in a fulsome way to the clemency board all of the overwhelming innocence of the unreliability of Paul Skalnick and the confessions of Mr. Piercy, and who really has no reason to confess other than that he wants to just come clean and get this off his chest. And to address, you know, any evidence that they feel points to Mr. Daly's guilt, of which there is really none. Um, you know, I, I think that I'm confident that I can convince them that they really need to do the right thing here. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us on WMNF's Midpoint Monday today, Josh. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you. And please, my final word is, please, I urge all of your listeners to please, please, please um, write to the governor write to the clemency board. Your letters do matter. Your phone calls matter. Um, and together we can help save James Daly. Well, thank you for joining us. Josh Dubin is president of Dubin Research and Consulting. He's an attorney for James Daly, who is on Florida's death row. And stay with us after this short music break. We'll be back to talk about a demonstration scheduled for tomorrow evening in St. Petersburg for supporters of the impeachment of President Trump. The number to call in is 813-239-9663. You can text us at 813-433-0885. Email dj at wmnf.org. We will be taking your calls and uh, this is 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. I'm Sean Canan. You're listening to Midpoint Monday at 1227 in the afternoon. Stay with us. One, two, three, up. from Bob Marley, Wake Up and Live from the 1979 LP Survival. Welcome back to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa, and you're listening to Midpoint Monday. I'm Sean Canan. Our next guest is helping to organize a rally for supporters of the impeachment of President Trump. 
On Wednesday, the full House is expected to vote mostly along party lines to impeach a sitting U.S. president for only the third time in history. The rally is at North Straub Park in downtown St. Petersburg beginning at 5.30. So I want to welcome Andrea Hildebrand-Smith, the host of Resistance Mom podcast. She's also with Floridians Against Corruption and Treason. Welcome back to WMNF's Midpoint, Andrea. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. And uh, there's also a rally I hear in Tampa, so maybe you can tell us what you know about that as well later on. But the election is in fewer than 11 months. Why, why impeachment? Well, the reason people are coming out, the reason the House is going to vote on impeachment is Trump used military aid to get a foreign government to interfere in our election that is coming up in 2020. Then he tried to cover it up. He needs to be impeached and removed because no one is above the law. So this is an, uh, this is an issue that is not simply uh, a, a past crime. This is, a, an, this is an interference in the election that we are now saying, well, let's have him see how he does in this election. Well, he's telling us he's inviting foreign governments. He's invited the, asked the Ukraine, in fact, demanded that the Ukraine, uh, that Ukraine um, investigate his rivals and create, help their, their side create propaganda. He was on television saying he thought China should investigate his rival in the upcoming presidential election. So it's important that we, he needs to be impeached because no one is above the law. And our election itself is under threat currently. One argument goes that, well, the president of Ukraine said there was no quid pro quo. He didn't feel pressure from Trump on the phone call that we've seen a partial transcript for, but we haven't heard the um, full transcript or full recording. So that's what uh, Republicans will say is that he was he wasn't being pressured. He was just kind of uh, talking about something that was good for the United States to investigate the Bidens. Well, he brought up the Bidens, his, you know, at the time, chief rival in the election, something like four times on that call. And he said, we, I need you to do me a favor. And he had held up this military aid. Um, I think it's, I think it's a little crazy to say, well, if the victim of a crime does not describe in legal terms the name of the crime uh, and both parties don't agree and you know verbally agree yes we're going to do quid pro quo right now yep that, that's what we're doing that's not required to uh, show that a that a crime happened um, Trump used the military aid the US government this was the policy of the US government to support Ukraine in defending its territory against Russian in military invasion and this was approved by the U.S. Congress and was the policy of the United States. It was held up. Um, it was made clear as the testimony for weeks showed in the uh, hearings that we heard a couple of weeks ago. Uh, public servants, people who have worked in our diplomatic corps for decades, people whose ex primary experience is military, um, everyone, including the representative who was uh, the the person who spoke, who uh, Sondland, who was an appointee of Pre President Trump, someone who gave a million dollars to the president's inaugural committee, all acknowledged what had happened as a quid pro quo that that Trump was going to require an, an announcement of this this investigation into the Biden, something that could be used as as indication to undermine the um, the. The, the truth of the 
about the 2016 election based on the assessment of, I think, 17 different U.S. intelligence agencies, which was that Russia interfered in our 2016 election, um, moving the focus to um, uh, this conspiracy theory, this idea that Ukraine did that or that Ukraine now could be shown to be investigating his rival um, is is really just a smokescreen. It's really, I mean, it's really a diversion from um, what we know to be true. We we have invel- intelligence agencies uh, working from all of these angles who arrived in a, in a consensus, which I'm told almost never happens. But what they said, and what they said absolutely clearly, was that Russia interfered in our 2016 elections. Um, and what we saw really clearly in the hearings that happened in Washington, D.C. over the last month were was unanimous testimony that President Trump was demanding, requiring that Ukraine commit itself to a path of interfering in the 2020 election uh, or risk not getting military assistance to defend their their own borders. Our guest is Andrea Hildebrand-Smith. She's helping to organize a rally that's supporting impeachment. It's tomorrow at North Straw Park in downtown St. Petersburg, beginning at 530. And we're taking your calls as well, 813-239-9663. I'll try to get to emails, dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. It's 1235 in the afternoon. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. This is Midpoint Monday, and we'll go to the phones in just a minute. I have a couple more questions for Andrea to begin with. Um, uh, one thing I do want to say is that uh, if people were listening closely, they could, they might correct you um, because this is something that I've heard the president say. You said, do me a favor, where on the partial transcript that was released, it literally said, do us a favor, meaning the U.S. So I just want to point that out in case in case, because uh, that's a, something that comes up all the time when uh, during the hearings, the, the, the Republicans were always saying, wait, he didn't say, you said, do me a favor, but it was actually do us a favor. So you you also said Well, that- I'm I'm going to just push back and clarify that the the ambassador, uh the members of his national security council, everyone who testified um indicate what like talked about the process of uh, coming to understand what was happening as the demands were being made to Ukraine by the president, by Rudy Giuliani and his other surrogates, that that they were pursuing a policy through it that, that consisted of military aid so that Ukraine could defend itself from Russian aggression. And that these surrogates were running a parallel track of different communications with different aims that Fiona Hill famously said, um, oh, this was a personal political errand. There was, but then learning, oh, the president is endorsing a personal political errand that is counter to U.S. established foreign policy. So if Trump is saying us, he is saying us. It's really a good question who he means by us and who does Trump really ever mean by us? He is a president who is a enormous focus on himself and you know his his goals are have, have I think in this case has really captured the attention of Congress and the country because his interests were not the same as those of the United States as established through our national security process and Congress 
and and even the executive branch to the extent that it was um, fully on board and everything was approved about the aid that was supposed to be given to Ukraine to defend itself from Russia. And that's one of the arguments that you were saying about why it has to take place now rather than after the election, because the U.S. 2020 election was one of the pieces on the chessboard, uh, to, to use that analogy. And so for that, you just told me that he should be impeached and removed from office. That's right. So the impeached looks like a pretty a slam dunk, as they say. That probably will happen Wednesday. President Donald Trump will probably be impeached on Wednesday, and then there's almost no chance that he will be removed from office by the U.S. Senate because it's in Republican hands. Well, I think they're the Republicans, the Republicans in the Senate, Republicans who are trying to defend Trump, are doing everything they can right now to say, to reassure their dear leader that Trump, Trump himself, that he isn't safe, he will not be removed. But the fact is, our Constitution requires a trial in the Senate, and evidence will be heard. Evidence has been brought forward through the House impeachment hearings, through the House impeachment. Um, investigation period, and they are required to review the evidence. They have an oath to the Constitution, and they have a population that care that wants to impeach Trump more than it doesn't. And now, you know, you you can look at different polls, and and Trump has a has a certain base that um, is getting their information from from places that are not sharing all the information that made it into these hearings and into these <clears throat> into these. Um, uh, debates, but but more and more people um, are are in favor of impeachment. I think just yesterday, Fox News itself had a poll published you know, information about a poll that said fifty four percent of Americans in their poll supported impeachment. So the numbers are not static. The numbers have changed, and I think that as much as the leadership of the Republicans in the Senate want to say this is never going to happen, we're going to protect the president no matter what the evidence is, they're under enormous pressure. They're under the pressure of history and they're under the pressure of voters who are outraged and they're going to see more of that tomorrow. There are more than 540 events that have been um, scheduled as part of this National Day of Action. What we're doing in St. Petersburg and here in Tampa are part of a National Day of Action that has, I think, 150,000 people signed up. Um, but it's the largest action that this coalition that, that is uh, grounded around the idea of no one is above the law. We are a nation in which even the president, especially perhaps the president, is governed by the law as are every single other person in this, in this country. So there's well over a thousand people who've signed up to come and participate in the event that we have tomorrow in, in uh, St. Pete. There's something close to that in Tampa. Florida actually has a, a, a pretty incredible showing. I think there are 26 of these events in Florida alone. So, and, you know, and I think that people haven't done, you know, really finished hearing about it. There's a lot of people who are going to hear about it today here on WNF. Um, and through the national news as impeachment builds today and tomorrow and we build towards a vote. So Republicans are going to have to answer to voters. They don't act like they care about that, but... That is the reality in this country still, and I think um, they they should take very seriously um, l the idea that a president, um, in their view, could do all of this. And, and the way they're talking about it, the president could do absolutely anything um, without them standing up to defend the Constitution.
Our guest is Andrea Hildebrand-Smith. She's helping to organize a rally supporting impeachment. It's tomorrow at North Straub Park in downtown St. Petersburg, beginning at 5.30. And the one in Tampa, do you have details about that? I know it's in front of the courthouse. I know it'll be at 5.30. Um, all the events all over the country are at 5.30 local time. There's a handful of exceptions, but by and large, if you know of an event in your community, you can go out at 5.30 and you'll be able to find it. And I think you're talking about the federal courthouse in downtown Tampa on Florida Avenue. Is that, is that sound I believe right? that's where they are, yes. All right, well, thanks. And we're going to go to the phones because we have Maureen in Plant City who has a question. Hi, Maureen. Hi, um, I don't have a... And what I have is a comment, and I want to. I, I think it's really important to stress the second article of impeachment is um, uh, obstruction of Congress, and I think that um, that is something that we cannot allow to stand. Um, the, this president did not produce a single document that he was asked for. He um, told witnesses they could not testify, and this could happen in the future. Why would any? president comply with congressional oversight if this president was allowed to get away with um, defying congressional oversight. I think that's a really, really important point that needs to be made about this. And also, I would like to say that um, there's going to be an event in Lakeland as well um, at Ross Spano's uh, Lakeland office that he's my representative and many people. Um, it's the Florida 15, I believe. Uh, congressional district. So, anyway, where in Lakeland, Maureen? It's at um, it's a it's a I forget the name of the park, but it's two blocks from Ross Spano's office. Uh, so people are going to be meeting in the park at five thirty and then marching to his office. All right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. And if you'd like to phone us, it's 813-239-9663. You can also watch and comment on Facebook Live. It's Facebook, WMNF News Facebook page. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, though I think I'm pretty far behind on the emails right now. You can text us at 813-433-0885. We're talking about the impeachment of President Trump likely to happen Wednesday in the House of Representatives. Let me read a quick uh, story from or a very a paragraph or two from the AP this morning. It says a vote could come as soon as Wednesday with a meeting to set debate already scheduled debate rules that is already scheduled for Tuesday that's tomorrow. Floor consideration is expected to be much like that of a regular bill. Meanwhile, Senate leaders are considering how to structure a trial for President Trump. In a letter to majority leader Mitch McConnell, minority leader Chuck Schumer proposed calling four witnesses that includes former National Security Advisor John Bolton and acting chief of staff Mick Mulvaney. During, that tr during the trial that could last three weeks or longer, and Trump, of course, denies any wrongdoing, and, and he's calling it a, a witch hunt and, and so forth. So uh, what, how, how would calling witnesses um, be something that, that, that could benefit the de Democrats if President Trump just tells those witnesses, many of whom are loyal to him, that they just shouldn't testify? Well, they're going to be under oath, and the oath is to the Constitution, not to the president of the of the country. Um, so, the if there are people who are going to defy the Constitution, uh, defy the legal authority that Congress has in both the House and the Senate, there are consequences for those actions. Um, they should be called upon to do their duty and um, pay the consequence if they're not going to do their duty, and the nation should see. Uh, what their behavior is, what their choices are, and what what the actual character is of both the president and the people who have been executing his policy on his behalf.
Recently, the Democrats called three law scholars to testify, and the Republicans called one. He's Jonathan Turley. His argument essentially said, look, I'm no, no supporter of Trump, and he's done some bad things during his presidency, but this is going too quickly and that this should be the court should weigh in on uh i'm going to play a little bit of tape from him um but he he essentially said if you if you ask a witness to testify and they just say no that shouldn't be the end of it you congress one branch of government should should um go against the other one the the executive branch and say let's let the court decide what's right which one of us is right and so that was his main argument slow down wait, wait for the courts to to um, decide on these types of matters and he also said that you know the the uh, when the Democrats were talking about the framers and uh, original original construction about what impeachment means he he kind of compared George Washington to that argument, and I'm doing a very bad job of it, but we're going to play some tape right now. Here's Jonathan Turley speaking a, a week or so ago uh, about, about uh, the framers of the Constitution. I do find it rather surprising that you would have George Washington in this jury pool. I would strike him for cause. Uh, George Washington was the first guy to raise extreme executive privilege claims. He had a rather robust view of what a president could say. If you were going to make a case to George Washington that you could impeach over a conversation he had with another head of state, I, I expect his hair, his powdered hair, would catch on fire. Well, that was law professor Jonathan Turley, and I played that clip mostly because it's colorful. That wasn't his main argument. The main argument is the one I was talking about earlier, which was that the courts should decide whether these uh, these witnesses are are compelled to testify. Yeah, I mean, one Republican guy and his idea of what George Washington would have thought hundreds of years ago is not useful right now. Um, I know that uh, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, has commented on the um, the timing of impeachment and the process that we're in right now, and noted that one there was at least one element of the challenge to Trump's barring of all evidence that has been asked of the White House, all oversight, um, as the caller mentioned just a minute ago, um, as documents were requested, as witnesses were asked to provide information, uh, the president told them, no, no, don't do that. Don't provide documents. Don't provide testimony. Um, that at least one of the challenges to his um, obstruction, which it can't be called anything else, um, it took 10 months in the courts and that the that Congress has an obligation to protect our democracy, to to protect our Constitution, and that you know another process going another ten months, even just one leg of this, um, take would take us ten out of the twelve months that we have left during this election cycle. That the American people and our democracy cannot take um, a multi-month, maybe multi-year process for sifting through arguments um, while the fate of our nation hangs in the balance um, and a president is openly admitting to demanding assistance from foreign governments in our elections, which is illegal. And there's really, there's no, there's no pushback. I mean, he has, it's not simply that there's evidence in there, which there is, and that there's testimony, which there is from very credible senior administration appointees, including 
almost all of them his appointees, people he put in into their roles. Um, so the evidence isn't in dispute. In fact, the president has admitted to this and repeated his demands on U.S. television, on, on live TV, saying Ukraine and China, they should all investigate the Bidens, uh, which is a help to been broken. And Republicans can say they don't care. They don't mind this law being broken. Um, we can have a long debate over which ones you like and which ones you don't. But um, I, I appreciate with all my heart. are based, uh, provides for, indeed requires impeachment. It, does, it says a president shall be impeached uh, for crimes of such as bribery, um, treason, and uh, high crimes and misdemeanors. Um, the, so I, I assembled Um, that it involves many aspects of many violations of the law, that our military aid should not be used for other purposes. Our military aid is used for American foreign policy. We were defending a, an ally nation against Russian military aggression. Our elections are off limits for foreign interference. We don't, it's, it's illegal to take contributions from foreign donors to American elections. That is 
that is absolutely established in American law. The President Trump used our military policy, our military aid to demand it, to require it. Um, these are violations of the law. It's a violation of the law to try and cover up your crimes, to obstruct Congress, um, to prevent information from documents, witnesses, from um, allowing Congress to do the job of oversight that our Constitution requires. Our checks and balances are not just part of the schoolhouse rock mantra that you you learned in, in um uh, watching TV as a kid. They are how our government works. If we don't have them, our Constitution has been violated in ways that are, are not small. They are not they are, they are high crimes um, in every sense of the word. I think what I was trying to get at, and I might have misspoke when I said political solutions, I think I was trying to say what Mueller, the way Mueller put it, put it. he was trying to be um, not not he was he was trying to not go there but still kind of give a hint i think what he was getting at when he testified is he said look i don't have the power to indict a sitting president for anything but since there was obstruction and i'm only talking now about the Mueller report not ukraine this is just about russian interference and then the, in the instruction obstruction of that investigation Mueller essentially said you know, there probably might have been a crime here but i can't indict so now it's up to you congress and Congress he did didn't. Punt. He did say Congress needs to act and Congress now needs to act. I think uh, Congress has done, I think there are many, many things, as I said earlier, that um, the president has done. Many of them actually break the law as well. Um, it is not a small matter to move uh, forward with impeachment on a president. Um, I think the Democrats have taken this issue with the utmost seriousness. I think this is a, a, a terrifying and and terribly sad moment. And I think that this president has been given the benefit of the doubt on so many, uh, so many wrong actions, hiring family members and in violation uh, to, to high level positions in violation of our nepotism, anti-nepotism laws, uh, continuing to accept payments from foreign governments through his businesses. This is against the law. It's really plainly against the law. It's against constitutional clauses, not simply, you know, laws like little laws that Congress might pass. This is in the Constitution. But that's not why we're here. We're here because the evidence is to, is assembled and is irrefutable and is in fact acknowledged openly by the president and in many cases by even his supporters. He used military aid to get the Ukraine, a foreign government, to interfere in our 2020 elections. Then he covered it up and he must be removed from office. He must be impeached and removed because no one is above the law. And when Mick Mulvaney was asked by a reporter on live TV, why, you know, what, is this what the president did? Is Did he did do he this quid pro quo? And he, he yeah. acknowledged it. That's true. And he said, that happens all the time. Get over it. So, you know, th and this we're, in a, we're in a moment where our Congress is saying, no, we have laws. We're not getting over. We're not saying we don't we don't care about the laws you break. We care. We we are going to make sure that the laws are not broken. And it is our job. It is our, our duty to uh, reveal this evidence, assemble it, um, write articles of impeachment and pass them if that's necessary. And Congress and the Senate in particular is going to be the focus going forward because the Senate has a legal responsibility to take these crimes as seriously as the House has and remove President Trump from office. And I hear some senators that 
kind of, in my opinion, don't sound serious. They sound like uh, if, if I hear uh, Lindsey Graham saying, like, I've already made up my mind, or if I hear um, Mitch McConnell say, look, we're working with the White House to make sure this goes away pretty quickly. I'm paraphrasing, of course, on both of those, I think. Um, that doesn't sound like you're going to get a serious trial where the facts will be objectively listened to. So should they recuse themselves, those two senators and, and others who talk like that? And since I'm asking on one side, I'll ask on the other. Um, Kamala Harris got into a, into a Twitter spat with the president of, uh, maybe a week or two ago, and she dropped the mic when she said, look, I'll, I'll see you in your tr trial. I'll be a, you know, a juror in your trial. And, and that, again, may be in a real trial, a juror who would not say that about someone who's who's going to be going on trial. So I know it's different. It's not a criminal. But should any of those people that I've just talked about, should they recuse themselves? Well, I think Kamala Harris did exactly what a law-abiding juror, juror ought to do, which is say, this is inappropriate because I'm about to see you in trial. I think that was actually helping draw the line. Um, can we remember the role we're going to have to play uh, and the role I need to play and the role that you're in right now, which is that you are going to be on trial for high crimes and misdemeanors uh, and for obstructing Congress. Um, I think uh, what Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham have have, have put out uh, is is disturbing and wrong. And I think there are, you know, a, a juror or a person in charge of a trial with the authority that Mitch McConnell has as relates to this trial um, would not be allowed to move forward having made statements like that in a, in a criminal court in the United States in most places. Um, so there's a, I think there's a reasonable argument for insisting they recuse. I think we're obviously, uh, we don't, they don't, um, they're not operating on the, with those principles. Uh, and, and I don't think um, anyone expects them to recuse themselves um, I think it would be appropriate. Um, I, I, you know, they are they are telling the entire country and the entire world that their responsibility to hold a trial and make it a fair trial and take these charges seriously. Our Congress, our our House has proceeded for months with enormous labor and uh, seriousness to bring these forward. Um, they need to do the same and they will, as people show them that we require it. We citizens who are going to be out marching tomorrow, um, all over the country are saying, we, we demand that these crimes be taken seriously. We're speaking to Congress. We're speaking to the Senate. People who want to participate anywhere in Florida can find anywhere in the United States can find a rally by going to impeach.org and putting in their zip code and you can search and find all of the activities that are happening near you. And even it's not too late to register a new event if you know you are ready to anchor an event for impeachment tomorrow. Well, thank you so much for coming on WMNF's Midpoint today, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Andrea Hildebrand-Smith is helping to organize a rally supporting impeachment tomorrow at North Straub Park in downtown St. Petersburg beginning at 530. Suzanne sent us a couple of others. Uh, there's a Nobody is Above the Law rally at the Sam Gibbons United States Courthouse in Tampa. I believe that's on Florida Avenue. That's also at 530 in Bradenton. They're at the Bradenton County Courthouse steps at 530. There's one hosted there. Also, there's one in Spring Hill at the corner of Spring Hill Drive and US 19. And um, there's one more I'll tell you about, Munn Park in Lakeland. That was the one that our caller earlier said. So thank you, Andrea, for being on the show. And I want to thank everyone who called. 
Sorry I didn't get to very many emails. If you'd like to leave a voicemail with your thoughts, call me at 813-238-8001, extension 114. I'll play your message next show. Thanks to Blanny Whalen for filming. Thanks for, to Alvaro and Frank, Alvaro Montalegre and Frank Knox for being our engineers. I'm Sean Canan. Tomorrow at noon, your hero Mark Bureau will host Midpoint Tuesday. Stay tuned now for Latino 54. That's coming up after NPR headlines on WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, and Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening. Live.